everybody, and welcome back to another edition of The Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes, here today with Pat Abendroff. Hey, Mike. Hey, everybody. And we have got another episode of The Pactum Responsum queued up for you today. Even though I want to have a Pactum absolve That's right. We're not going to do that. It's Pactum Responsum. Thankfully, we haven't gotten anybody sending in their sins to us to absolve. (laughs) Good, good. But we have been getting questions, and so we're going to have another Pactum Responsum episode for you today. We've got a handful of questions Uh, Thankful for our listeners and thankful for you sending in your questions. You can keep doing that. You can continue sending your questions. You can send them in all hours of the day or the night. We don't even care. Yeah, just keep them coming. Yep, we'll sleep right through it. (laughs) And we may get to them on another episode later, or we just might not respond at all. So there's an option for us. Mike, one of my boys had a basketball coach who read the parents, uh, the riot act, because they sent emails to the secretary late at night. Serious. And how unthoughtful it is to send emails <laughs> late at night to someone. Turn off the notification. Yeah, and it was it was it was hilarious because it's like he didn't really understand how it worked. It's as if they were calling them late at yeah, night. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't the case at all. So we were all just kind of looking at each other. So <laughs> that's funny. Kind of strange. Well, you can send them whenever you want. We're happy to get those questions at all hours. At all hours, we don't mind. We we are here to serve you twenty four seven. Yes, three sixty five. <laughs> Let's get into our questions here for the Pactum Responsum 2.0. We'll start with a question from Eric. And Eric's asking a question following up on our law gospel discussion we had in our previous episode. Episode 2. Episode 2, yes, on law and gospel. And he's following up with that episode, and he asks, Would it be fair to sum up the law gospel distinction as the difference between imperatives and indicatives in Scripture? Can we boil it down that far? I think yes, generally, but we need to offer a little bit of nuance and uh, qualification because there are exceptions. So it's an always and never kind of thing, get you in trouble. Yeah. So generally speaking, I like that. Uh, others have followed that kind of format, Machen, uh, Mike Horton, I think, in Christless Christianity and other places. So law would be the imperatives, what God requires, tells us to do. Imperatives are commands. Uh, indicative would be uh, not obey, but Christ died for your sins. Yeah. Christ died for our sins. So well, it's, it's been done. It's been done. So I really like that. I think it's helpful. So we, we love the triumphant indicative and based upon the triumph triumphant, indicative, we want to obey God and do what is right now that we belong to him out of gratitude. But at the same time, believe is an imperative, mm. and believe belongs in the gospel category. It yeah. doesn't belong in the law category. Sure. So I do think we need to be a little bit cautious about the always and never sort of things. But generally speaking, I'm a fan. So thinking about the always and never categories, that might get us into some trouble uh, what about passages, uh, other places in Scripture, like maybe the Psalms, and thinking about law and gospel in those places, imperatives, indicatives? How do you treat, as you're reading through the Psalms, law and gospel distinctions? I think the Psalms are fascinating, they challenging, are. Yes. and good teaching opportunities. Yeah. So we read through the Psalms on Sunday mornings here. We have for a long time as a church for Scripture reading. And it's always a challenge for me, if I'm the one reading the Scripture, uh, to bridge the gap. Yeah. Because we are not the nation of Israel. Uh, we're not called to pick up swords and destroy yeah. our enemies. Right, right. Uh, so it, it is a hermeneutical challenge, I think, because they are applicable, uh, but we're, it's not one-to-one because we are not them. Yeah. We are not defending Jerusalem. Yeah. We're looking forward to the new Jerusalem. So it is challenging. Uh, but in the Psalms, you definitely have 
God's strict requirements at times, and at the same time, you also have promises, gospel promises, mm-hmm. God's covenantal love for his own, and you also have the light unto my path, third use yeah. of the law yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So it all depends who you are, if you're a believer, not a believer, depends on the text. I, I really admire people who excel, and I don't claim to excel, excel in the ability to interpret the Psalms from a Christian perspective yeah. and to make them meaningful uh, and understandable. I think it also may help when you think hermeneutically about the Psalms. We're talking about the nation, and just because you're a part of the nation doesn't mean you're converted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is God's holy nation, but there were believers and unbelievers. It's a, it's a, it's a mixed bag, if you will, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the nation. So that might help a little bit as well. Yeah. So one one clarifying question maybe for our listeners does every verse in the Bible either law or gospel, or are there shrug, not sure? We would be in good company to say every text of Scripture, mm. uh, you have to make a determination. Is it law or is it gospel? Mm. And and how, how so? How does it relate to either one of those things? But it certainly isn't going to be gospel. Yes, that's right. And just by way of review, we want God's strict requirements to be God's strict requirements. Let's not water down the law. Let's have it carry its full weight because then it causes us to see our need for Christ uh, and then we see the glory of the gospel. It's all of what he has done for us to be received freely as a gift. And then on the other side of redemption, we do have a desire to honor God and therefore obey God's law and do what's right. So if we're clear on this and we understand the reform perspective of it, uh, we're not going to be neonomian, mm. uh, new law somehow and making it achievable by sinners and sons and daughters of Adam, but we're not antinomian either because we do see God's laws beautiful now because it doesn't condemn us anymore. We know it's good and right, and we want to do what's good and right and honoring to God. And so we are very pro-law as Christians, but we have to keep things in their right order. So thank you for the question, Eric. It's a great question. Generally speaking, imperative indicative, law gospel, good way to think. Yeah. Maybe before we, just to round it out, to go back to Machen, because it's always good to, to channel your inner Machen mm-hmm. now and then, and it's yeah. been a while since we've, mar- since we've marched with the good Dr. Gresham. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, great quote from Christianity, Christianity and liberalism about this matter. Here is found the most fundamental difference between liberalism and Christianity. Liberalism is altogether in the imperative mood, mm-hmm. while Christianity begins with a triumphant indicative. Liberalism appeals to man's will, while Christianity announces first a gracious act of God. Mm-hmm. End of quotation. So don't sound like a liberal if you're not a liberal theologically, mm-hmm. and keep these matters straight. Indicative, imperative, law, and gospel. Yeah. Well, let's move on to a second question we have for you today on the Pactum Responsum. And this question comes from Matt. Uh, Matt had listened to our Calvinism episode. Episode 19. Episode number 19 on the Pactum. And he was wondering some clarifying questions about Calvinism, specifically in regard to a couple verses uh, that he said tend to trip him up and maybe conflict with the I and P of Tiny Tim's tiptoe through the tulips. (laughs) So uh, the first one is Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus says that the one who is victorious, quote, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, end quote. And he said this seems to suggest someone can have their name in the book of life and then have it removed. 
And then also he talks about Exodus 32, 31 through 33. He said it also makes a reference to being blotted out or erased from the book of life. Doesn't that conflict with the P of tulip? I don't think anyone's name who's written in the book of life will ever be blotted out, but I do think it's a great way of wording things that that promise is absolutely sure. Mm. It is a sure promise. And so I don't think it conflicts with the P of tulip, uh, perseverance of the saints, uh, preservation of the saints. I actually think it underscores it and stresses it. Mm. If you are in Christ and if you're in Christ, you will persevere. Uh, you will continue. You will be an overcomer and your name will never be written out sure. of the Lamb's book of life right. or the book of life. So I think it's a striking, vivid way of stressing. Uh, remember, there it's in the context of persecution and suffering, and it's worth it. Continue to follow Christ. It's worth it. Continue. Don't compromise. And at the end, you know what's wonderful? Your name would never be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life or out of the book of life. So I think it has to do with verbiage. And maybe if it was the only verse in the Bible, we could draw all, all kinds of other conclusions, sure, yeah. but it's not. It comes in the canon, and we would want to read the Bible canonically mm. because we have ultimately one divine author. So I love the question. Uh, I've grappled with those very same things before, Matt, but when we look at, look at it in the, the, the greater perspective, I don't think it's actually a problem. And when it comes to Exodus 32, I think we have something similar, uh, but here's a great quotation from the Reformation Study Bible. If God will not forgive his people, and that's the context, Moses asks to be disinherited with them. Verses 10 and 11 are the references there. And so it's a lot like the Apostle Paul's attitude in chapter 9 of Romans. Mm. So if, they, if they're going to be disinherited, then throw me out as well. There's this solidarity. There's this... Um, love for the people. There's this love for God's promises. And so I, I guess you can call it hypothetical. Um, Paul doesn't really want to be damned. Hmm. Uh, Paul doesn't really want to be cursed, but he's speaking emotionally and passionately. And I think the same thing is happening here when we look at the text you reference in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32. And then Matt also asks the second part of his question is in regard to Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39, when Jesus is lamenting over Jerusalem, and Matt is asking, if Calvinism is accurate, why would Jesus say this? Why would you lament over a city or a people who you didn't give irresistible grace to in the first place? He's saying, why would that happen? How does that square with Calvinism? Yep. And Matthew 23 is commonly used by Arminians uh, to argue against Calvinism. And Matt isn't doing this, and I'm thankful for it. But oftentimes, it's they, they say, look, Jesus is addressing the people, and he wanted them to repent, but they didn't. When in fact, he's not addressing the people, he's addressing the leaders. He's going after the leaders because the leaders were such, they were supposed to be shepherds. They're not, they're wolves. And he pronounces all of his woes upon them because they kept the people from Messiah. They should have been pointing the people toward Messiah. So here is Jesus, uh, the one who is compassionate and kind and mighty to save and burdened for sinners. And all of that is legitimate. All of it is real. It's not make-believe. But he's making a point in that text, in chapter 23, as a point of condemnation toward the leaders. Hmm. That doesn't mean that there won't be some of those very people who are converted. But Right there and then he has his aim focused on the leaders. Do note that in the book of Acts, many of those Jewish people actually will come to believe in Messiah mm. and they will come to be saved. So just 
Watch out for those pesky Arminians when they use it out of context to kind of have it be, well, Jesus' will was that the people would be saved and their will was against being saved and therefore they won. Hmm. It's, not, it's, not, it's not what it's about. And also I'd follow up with that by, by referencing John chapter 6. I, I can't help but read the Bible with the Bible and compare Scripture with Scripture, which is what we would want to do as Christians. And so I know other texts of Scripture that have to complement that one John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All Here's what, here's what I really want to emphasize. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Hmm. So we, we, we have, there's nothing unclear about that. Yeah. It is effectual. Yes. It is certain. Yeah. It is absolute. It is going to happen. Uh, and with texts like that, I, I can easily have them complement texts like Matthew chapter 23 or other similar texts that might appear to be teaching someone something else. So Jesus' lament over unbelieving Israel is genuine. Ezekiel chapter 18, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, also chapter 33. And both of those things can be true yeah. at the same time. Right, yeah. Well, thanks for your question, Matt. We appreciate you listening and thinking about uh, some of our listeners listening to our podcasts. Sometimes people like to know, what do we listen to? Do you listen to podcasts? What kind of podcasts are you listening to? What are some of your favorites? What do you listen to, Pat? Well, I think if I pulled up my phone here, but before I do that, I guess just yesterday I listened to the new episode of Two Age Sojourner, uh -huh. uh, some New Zealand friends, and I like that. It's kind of long and meandering, uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way, <laughs> but you have to be ready for it yep. because they, they're kind of thinking out loud together. So I do enjoy that. Uh, I listened to just about everything I can get my hands on from Victor Davis Hanson. Mm. He's a historian. Um, Military historian, really into politics as well. I kind of wish he were, he were my secret grandfather mm. or, or father-in-law or something like that. <laughs> uh, but I really, really enjoy him. Good, clear thinker. You can find a lot of his stuff on YouTube. I listen to Ben Shapiro just about every day just to find out what's going on and to put myself in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to R. Scott Clark's podcast when it comes out, typically. Uh, Heidelblog. Heidelcast. Heidelblog is his website. Okay, yep. Heidelcast. But when I pull up my phone here, let's see. I have the Cycling Podcast, uh, and Tour de France is about ready to start here, so I'm gearing up for that da <laughs> daily. Oh, boy. Uh, let's see what else. Guilt, Grace, Gratitude, The Briefing, Al Mohler. I don't listen to that all the time, but it's in my feed. I have Revisionist History, which I haven't listened to for a long time. I have... Prager U, five minutes. Don't know the last time I listened to that one. Reform Forum, don't listen all the time, but I do like what, the, what those guys do. Federalist Radio Hour, Renewal Cast by Jay Whip. Just listened to that yesterday. He had a good interview with T. David Gordon about theonomy. Mm. I guess I could just keep going here. Lots of cycling stuff. Life in the Peloton. I'm sure you have that one in yours. It's at the top uh, of my list. Velo News podcast. Sure, that's in yours as well. <laughs> stuff you should know. I kind of lost interest in that. Oh, the Pactum. That's a really good one. Top notch. And uh, 
I like Me- Megan Kelly's a great interviewer. I don't always listen because it's pretty long, but she actually is a really good interviewer. Mortification of spin. Or is it Mortification of Sin? No, it's Mortification spin, of Spin. Yep. And uh, White Horse Sin. I like the old ones way better than the new ones. I think I'll stop because I can just keep going That's and going and going. Do you I, do anything but listen to podcasts then? I love <laughs> podcasts. I really do. You know what's really funny? I am I'm not a podcast guy, which is really weird. But I, I, I get distracted really easily. And so if I listen to a podcast while I'm doing something else, I'm completely distracted and I can't do what I'm doing. So the only time I'm really ever capable of listening to a podcast is when I'm driving. But then sometimes I forget where I'm going or I get near an accident because I get distracted or when I'm doing yard work. So the only couple that I, I have a few on my list that you mentioned. Okay, good. Um, I have also the Credo podcast, Matthew Barrett's. Yep, I have his yep. list. I had to. that in my feed. Okay. Too. Uh, Mortification of Spin, Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, I California. I like that one a lot. I really yep, like Ding, that. ding, ding, the bookstore, one of my favorite parts. We need to get a bell here. <laughs> but uh, I have a couple nerdy ones. Um, but you guys may love these, so I'm going to share them with you. The first one is I got turned on to this podcast by one of our elders here at the church, Dave Guthrie. It's not about hemp oil or something no, like that, is it? No. The Piano Puzzler. <laughs> The Piano Puzzler. The Piano Puzzler. So what happens every week on Performance Today on NPR, uh, there is a musician. His name is Bruce Adolph. He takes a, they would say, a modern or contemporary type of song, and he restyles it in the style of a classical composer. So you could have... I don't know, any kind of... Sometimes they're like Broadway tunes or popular tunes that a lot of people would know. Okay. Restyled maybe in the style of Mozart or Beethoven or Mendelssohn. And what they do is they have a caller and it's a contest and you listen and you try and see if you can figure out one, the tune, and two, the style. It's fascinating. If music is your thing, okay, it's fascinating. So it there's sounds, that for all you way too parents. highbrow for it's, me. It's, I love it. And it's short. It's only maybe 10, 15 minutes every time. It's every maybe Tuesday, I think, it comes out. It's fun. I have a good time with good. it. Good. I'm intrigued. Yeah. My other one is The Office Ladies, which I listen to because I love The Office, that TV show. I don't know huh. if we can say that on here, but I like that one. So <laughs> so what is The Office Ladies? It's The Ladies The Office from the Ladies show? are Pam and Angela, the characters from The Office, uh, re-watching every episode of The Office and talking about them, insider scoop, behind okay. the scenes, kind of fun. So. Got got it, got it. Hey, one I just started listening to today that I'm going to add that's kind of fascinating. I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but it's The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Oh. Yeah. Who yeah. does that? Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe some Christianity Today people. But it was kind of interesting just because they had recordings of Mark Driscoll just yelling, Seriously? what's wrong with you people? You know, and just Whoa. like, so kind of fascinating that is I think. fascinating uh, what else do I have in here Garrett Thomas cycling bar podcast um, podcasts are awesome man I love them that's that's crazy so Pat's the big podcast listener I'm the occasional don't want to get too distracted oh also I listen to all of the podcasts that people in our church have yes <laughs> yes so <laughs> everyone if you're a church member and you have a podcast I listen to all sometimes even more than once <laughs> Um, big, big liker and subscriber. So give us five stars if you would, because we love your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Oh, so that's a little insider into what we listen to. Uh, maybe you'll find some there that you like, Piano Puzzler, and uh, you can get involved in <laughs> you know some what? of those. I went to Northwest High School. I mean, I'm so lowbrow. I don't know anything about Mozart or any of this. I w- married a woman who was in the orchestra, so I tried to marry up a little bit. You but, did. So I, I just want to be classy, but I married classy, but I'm not classy. Well, I'm glad right. you're classy. There's Mike. hope for you after all. Well, let's get back to our <laughs> questions here on the Pactum Responsum. Don asks, what would you say to someone who says that they are confessionally reformed, but they go to a church that isn't under the oversight of a denomination. She talks a little bit about independent Bible churches, maybe as an example mm-hmm. of those who someone might be, quote, confessionally reformed, go to an independent Bible church who doesn't explicitly subscribe to a confession on their website. Okay. So what are your thoughts on that, Pat? Thank you, Don, for listening, and thank you for great questions. And I, I would respond by saying we're all about being confessional as Christians. Yeah. We want to make confessionalism great again. <laughs> so we're trying to do our part. And so with that in mind, we do try to help people who are not used to confessions or confessional Christianity uh, to introduce them in a way that they can understand, in a way that's reasonable. Uh, we think churches should adopt and affirm and subscribe to historic confessions. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are credo-baptist, and so that's why we use the 1689 confession, but others who would be paedo-baptist would use three forms of unity, Westminster Confession, Heidelberg Catechism, Belgic Confession, uh, and some dear, dear friends hold to those. So all of that to say, uh, what I try to do with people who are part of independent Bible churches, for example, uh, I try to help them understand the need Mm. And so even in the confession that we use, uh, I wrote an introduction to it with the target audience being those who are new to the idea or opposed to the idea, helping them to see the reasonableness of it all. So you probably listened to episode 15 on confessional Christianity, yep, yep. Uh, but if you're listening today and you're not Don, mm. um, we would commend that episode to you. Also, if you want us to send you a copy of our confession with that introduction, Don, we'd be happy to do that. And maybe you could share it with one of your friends who's not part of a confessional church. And if that doesn't work, um, we would, I I think um, sometimes people will listen to someone who's more broadly evangelical on such things, who has some, oh, popularity, some street cred because of that. Mm. And I think of Albert Moeller, president of Southern Seminary, since he has such a big listenership to his podcast. Uh, If you Google search Albert Moeller and confessional, uh, confessional Christianity or something like that, you're going to come up with some good resources, I think, where he does talk about the importance of being confessional. Mm. So uh, whether you're a big fan of Moeller or not, a lot of people do listen to him and consider him to be trustworthy as a resource. So there's there's a good resource for your Baptistic sort of friends or independent Bible church uh, sort of friends. I hope it's helpful anyway. Yeah. Let's continue on with our questions here on the Pact and Response, and we have a couple more questions we're going to be talking about on this episode, and these are a couple questions that we get with uh, quite a bit of frequency, so we thought we'd throw these in the mix for you on this episode of the Pact and Response. The first one, Pat, is what is federal headship, and how does it relate to things like covenant theology? Now, that's a good question. I heard someone say the other day, if you have a podcast, don't respond to every question with, now that's a good question. <laughs> it so is a good question. that's why I say it that way. We have to kind of watch ourselves because we always tend to say the same sorts of things. Yes, so we do. So that's a good question. 
Okay. Romans chapter 5 is a great text when it comes to federal headship, but as it would relate to covenant theology, uh, federal headship, well, before we go there, it's representative headship. So in Romans chapter 5, Adam represents the entire human race, uh, and his actions uh, affect everyone, and then Jesus affects all those he represents, the elect, because not everyone is saved, and he doesn't represent everyone who's ever lived, and so they're the two federal heads of the mm. human race. Uh, we have federal government, yeah. so we kind of can understand that a little bit. Uh, things are done that affect all of us. Yeah. Um, Again, it's not exactly the same, but we do use the same verbiage. So federal headship, Romans chapter 5 is a great text to go to. So as it relates to covenant theology, we need to know that federal comes from the Latin word foidas, which means covenant. So I say that with a big smirk and smile (laughs) and cheesy grin and laugh because I know numerous individuals who say they believe in federal headship, but they don't believe in covenant theology. And that's like saying, I like apples, but I don't like apples because they're actually one and the same. Same thing. So I'm thankful for blessed inconsistencies, but uh, they're actually the same thing, which is why some people who are huge opponents of covenant theology know that they have to do something and they have to do something to not believe in federal headship. Mm -hmm. And so they believe in seminal headship or something like that. Now we're in the weeds a little bit. Seminal headship is also true because we are physically related to Adam. Right, right. Uh, That actually is true. But in Romans 5 and typically in theology, we're talking about federal headship. Um, We're not, we don't benefit from Jesus because we're physically related to him. Right. We benefit because we're federally related to him. So Romans chapter five, and and by the way, if I triggered you, if you're a covenant theology hater, Mm -hmm. um, just know, been there, done that, uh, (laughs) the water's warm, come on over, um, and, and affirm federal headship, which is covenant headship, uh, Okay, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So all sinned, well, in our representative, Adam. Great, 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 grandpa Adam. And then some. (laughs) And then some is right. And maybe we could just, for the sake of time, drop down to Romans 5, 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, opposite of justification, for all men, so one act of righteousness, uh, law obedience, because that's what righteousness means, leads to justification and life for all men. All he represents, that is. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners or rendered, declared sinners, so or sinners uh, made sinners in the eyes of God. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous, mm-hmm. righteous before the eyes of God or before the throne of God. So federal headship, representation, 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 the one and the many and the one and the many. Good enough of an answer, Mike? Yeah, that's great. That's a good question. That's a good question. That's a really good question. That's a good question. <laughs> well, let's wrap up our episode here, the Pactum Responsum 2.0, uh, with a final great question. And this question com- <laughs> <laughs> this question is... Does this, it- this question comes from Gil. 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 Gil asked this question. Gil asked this question. All right. This question comes from Gil, and Gil says, doesn't First John 2 teach universal atonement? This brings us back to the Calvinism question, uh, really, which is episode 19? 19, I think. It should have been episode 5. What were we thinking? That we blew it. Uh, we, we definitely relaunched the whole podcast. Uh-huh. Okay. So 1 John chapter 2, uh, and this is 
this is an important one. This is a good question. It is, yes. <laughs> My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the propitiation or satisfaction or atoning sacrifice. It has to do with satisfying anger, wrath, judgment, condemnation. So he is the satisfaction. Uh, He is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So we can read it as an Arminian does and say, uh, Jesus made atonement for everyone who's ever been born, including Mm -hmm. Pharaoh, uh, because whole world means absolute, universal, everyone. But if that's the case, uh, then we have universalism. Right. Um, and we have to say, well, then everybody is in heaven and no one is in hell. And Jesus was errant in the things that he said, and there won't be any one condemned at the great white throne judgment in revelation chapter 20, which is not Christian. Mm. Uh, I think there's too much support and too much data to argue otherwise, even from Jesus. So it makes us go, Hmm, well then what? (laughs) And what I did for a long time is say, well, it's potential. So he makes everyone savable. There's this potential propitiation for everyone. And so therefore, as long as you believe and you're part of the everyone whole world, uh, then you can be forgiven. The problem with that is that the text doesn't teach that. It says propitiation. It says satisfaction. It says atonement. And so we're left in a bit of a dilemma, at least at first. Uh, I can either weaken propitiation, and I want to say, get your grubby hands off of my propitiation. Mm -hmm. I want true and full atonement. Uh, I want all of my sins uh, propitiated. So I'm not really willing to do that. It's not potential. It's actual. Um, You're going to get more than you bargained for or less than you bargained for. And instead, I'm willing to say, I'll bet... If I were a betting man, uh, and I know enough to know that sometimes world means things other than every single individual who's ever been born. Right. So that's where I'm going to go with it because world is used different ways by John. It's used different ways in the new, in the new Testament. And for example, it is commonly used to represent all different kinds of people, not just Jewish people. So if John is addressing Jewish Christians, which he is, um, it's not for our sins, Jewish Christians, but also for the sins of the Gentiles, the sins of the world, Mm. all kinds of people. This is why theologians sometimes talk about uh, when you're talking about all passages, A-L-L, it's all without distinction, not Mm. all without exception, Mm. something to chew on. Whole books have been written about this that are helpful. But be careful that you don't end up getting something you don't want to get out of it, which would be an atonement that doesn't atone. Yeah, yeah. Or universalism, which right. is clearly not true. Right. So, uh, all different kinds of people. I do believe Jesus is the Savior of the world. Mm-hmm. He's the one and only Savior. Yeah. That doesn't mean he saves the world. Uh, he is the one and only Savior. He saves the world in the sense that he saves all different kinds of right. people, Jew and Gentile, the one and only magnificent. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jew and 
Gentile. That's, That's right. why people must believe in him. Yep. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Absolutely. Yep. It is a full atonement. It is. Well, we want to thank you once more for listening to the Pactum Responsum episode we've had for you today. You can continue sending in those questions. We will periodically be doing some Pactum Responsum episodes and answer those questions for you. Again, you can send them to us on email, connect at thepactum.org. Where else can they find us? You can also find us on Twitter, at the Pactum. Twitter is where mean people live. Wow. It is. It's insane how mean people can be on there. So be nice people. Send us good questions. There are nice people on Twitter, there are too. Positive. And I've, I've made actual legitimate friends on Twitter. No. So I, I'm a testimony you of You could grace. write a book. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Twitter is sometimes mean, sometimes nice. Yep. And you can also find us on Instagram, the Pactum Theology. You can get in touch with us in all those locations. We'd love to be in touch with you, hear your questions, and hopefully get to them on a future Pactum Responsum episode. And we will see you next time on Piano The Pactum. Puzzler. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time on The Pactum. Take care.